0: I love
1: preaching at Pentecost
0: because it's about my friend,
1: the Holy Spirit, your friend probably as well. But for many people, Pentecost is kind of something rather mysterious. It was like that for me in the beginning because if you talk about the Holy Spirit, you can never be quite sure what to expect. Is it a mysterious power? Who is it? And so it's about the God of the Bible. It's about the Holy Spirit and it's about the one through whom we are sitting here because without Pentecost the church would never have started and we wouldn't be here today so it's about the God of miracles, right? and I was thinking, you know, how to start this message, and I will start by saying, the Bible is full of God's miracles, so we keep hearing about God's miracles and right from the beginning of the Bible to its very end We read about the miracle of creation, for instance. So if you were to take a walk through the woods here or across the mountains here or look at the person next to you, even if they might not look like one exactly, they are a miracle of creation. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, hey, you are such a miracle. Well, it's great to see you're all awake now.
0: So, the first miracle
1: is the miracle of creation. Or take a look at the story of Israel, how they were set free and delivered from Egypt and they went through the Red Sea. And so, the parting of the Red Sea, that is the story that is always repeated for Passover. Or the miracle on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, when the Ten Commandments were given. Or to take a look in the New Testament, we see the miracle miracles that Jesus has worked. Jesus didn't just travel and teach,
0: but he lived together with the disciples, and there were so many people who were healed of sicknesses, or maybe they were lepers, they were touched by God, so full of miracles.
1: And even the crucifixion is a story of miracles, the resurrection of Jesus, and that takes us right to the miracle of Pentecost. So the disciples were we're immersed in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and miracles, my friends, are God's supernatural intervention. And then God does things that man cannot do, so otherwise it wouldn't be a miracle, right? So it's God's supernatural intervention. And
0: And every miracle has got three elements. Let me tell
1: you that right at the beginning of the the message, not at the end. And it helps to understand the message. So you'll have always three elements in a miracle. You find that in the word of God everywhere. First of all, it's God's promises. God is promising something. And the second thing is that man... Needs to trust that what God has said is true. And thirdly, that we act accordingly. So we need to do something. We need to cooperate with God. And so that's what we'll practice right here at the beginning of this message. Turn to the person on your left. Promise. The other neighbor, tell them, trust.
0: And now turn to somebody else and say, cooperation with God. So, and now you're already
1: so now you have had the best possible uh, preparation for the Bible passage that I'm going to read to you, and we'll begin here. And you probably know it very well. It's in Matthew 14:22. It's a story about the disciples in the boat,
0: and actually, it's quite strange, you know, because Jesus
1: urges his disciples to get into the boat and get to the other, uh, the other. Sure, and he's God he should have known a storm was coming he doesn't even get into the boat himself but he rather withdraws to a mountain to pray and you can read that in Matthew 14-22 so Jesus was by himself in the evening and was on the shores of Lake Galilee and if you've been there a few times you can really imagine what this was looking like and then every now and then there's very sudden squalls and there's storms They come very suddenly and then you can see the boat had uh, been at a considerable distance of the shore and it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then it continues to say during the fourth watch of the night Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. I don't know what you would have said seeing Jesus walk in the storm probably similar. So they cried out not in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So, actually, that part of the story would have been sufficient by itself. But that wasn't the end of it. But actually, it continues because now Peter comes along. We can't really identify with Peter, right? Because Peter, he is the extrovert. He wants to have everything, and yet much of it he just doesn't succeed in And then he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus said, come. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down immediately. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. So now this is the description of a miracle. And at the end of my message, I'll get back to that. But you have the three elements here as well that I just described to you. It's the promise, promise, courage. courage, of faith and cooperation with God so now let's uh, shift a little bit and get to the story of Pentecost because of course today is Pentecost so you should be talking about Pentecost and there we actually discover something really amazing because Jesus
0: in all four Gospels Jesus speaks about this that Pentecost
1: was going to come and when he speaks about this He uses a very strange word, baptizo, which means to baptize or to immerse. And so the the word truly means to get something thoroughly wet.
0: Of course, we know baptizo with the word baptism,
1: and, and what this word actually describes, it's like jumping into a swimming pool and really go out down, down go down under completely, and so this is refers to both baptism in water, but Jesus uses the same term to describe the Holy Spirit to really be immersed in the Spirit, and you can imagine it's like getting under a waterfall. Don't know whether any of you have ever been to a been Waterfall. We once had the privilege to go to Paraguay and Brazil, where you have the Iguazu waterfalls, they're huge, you don't even have to get under them because you die, you would not survive, but if you just get there at some distance, you get completely soaked.
0: You are completely immersed, you are just dripping wet, and this is the meaning
1: of getting immersed in the Holy Spirit. Something comes from above that completely gets you soaked from top to bottom.
0: So, and
1: this is what Jesus is speaking about.
0: And he says that in all four Gospels, it mentions explicitly,
1: Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Did you know it mentions that in all four Gospels? First of all, in Matthew 3, verse 11, we see John the Baptist speaking about Jesus, saying, I am baptizing you in water for the repentance of sin, but the one coming after me is stronger than me, and I am unworthy to even untie his sandals. And he will come to baptize you in fire and in the Holy Spirit, talking about Jesus. And then taking a look at Mark, Mark 1, verse 8. We also find it John the Baptist says, I have baptized you with water, but he will come to baptize you in the Holy Spirit.
0: And then to look in Luke,
1: Luke 3:16. John the Baptist says, John answered them and said, I am baptizing you in water, but there is one coming after me who is stronger than I. And so again, he's talking about Jesus. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals and he will come to Baptized with the Holy Spirit and with water, fire.
0: So in all four Gospels, we find that it says that Jesus will
1: come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the Gospel of John, it's a bit more detailed there. John 1, uh, we can read that briefly so we can understand why this is so important. The following day, Jesus John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that word very well. And then he continues, I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said that he who you see, the Spirit descend as a dove and remain on him, he is the one who will come and baptize in the Holy Spirit. So I have seen that and I testify. That this is the Son of God. So first of all, John says here Jesus is the Lamb of God. Who of you knows that? Yeah, we all know that. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But it's amazing. That's only one te- once that this is testified to here in the Gospel of John. And the second thing is that he's the Son of God. Who of you knows that Jesus is the Son of God? We all know that as well.
0: But the third thing he
1: says here is he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So in all four Gospels, we see that explicitly Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Spirit. So that is something that's really, really important. One of the most important things we need to know about Jesus. It's wonderful to know the Lamb of God, but it's not everything.
0: It's important for us, each
1: one of us, to know Jesus as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And this is what this passage is talking about. And then we see Jesus is raised from the dead, and then he repeats that promise. So that promise is not just once, but it keeps recurring over and over and over again. So we can't emphasize strongly enough how many times we find this promise in the New Testament, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. So when they met together... With his disciples? He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift the Father promised, which, so he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he repeats this again, not long from now. I am the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name.
0: So if
1: we draw a line under all of this, we have to find that almost all
0: commentaries
1: agree that the miracle of Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 1-4 to is the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus kept speaking about this over and over again. He said he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And this promise has been fulfilled. So it's important for us to realize that. And from
0: here, we can take a look at the story of Pentecost Acts 2
1: verses 1 to 4 I just take a few phrases because you've just read it uh, or heard it in the reading of the scriptures but just a few points here all of a sudden there was a rushing sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were and it appeared to them tongues like fire dividing on each one of them and they they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave to them.
0: So if we look at this,
1: what was this?
0: So to allah First of all, we see that it was an immersion, a
1: baptism. The Holy Spirit came from above. He immersed. He completely saturated and soaked the disciples. This Holy Spirit, He filled the entire house where they were. Secondly, each one of them, so it wasn't just a collective experience, but each one of them individually experienced that. Each one of them, each one personally was filled with the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah.
1: So it was a, an infilling, a saturating, a, a soaking, a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And secondly, it was something that each one of them experienced And thirdly, they were filled by it. They were filled to overflowing so much that it flowed out of them. Matthew 12, 32. Do you know that?
0: If the heart is full of something,
1: it will overflow. Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that was the fullness in them, the power of the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them to. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see a spiritual principle. And we can witness that from the beginning, right? There's always the promise. We saw Jesus giving the promise over and over again. And secondly, the disciples were trusting. They went to the upper room and they waited on the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, they cooperated with God. Because when the Holy Spirit came, they opened their mouth. They didn't wait for God to do something, but they started opening their mouths and worshiping the Lord. And that changed and transformed their worship in praying in tongues, in tongues speaking in other languages so it was God who did that but they started worshipping the Lord
0: sometimes we are waiting for
1: the Lord to do things and we're waiting year after year and we don't see the miracles sometimes we think oh we are so religious so godly for 25 years I've been waiting for God to do something I want just him to do everything
0: and we can just reply you know you might be
1: you might have to wait for the rest of your life because that's not biblical you can wait for the rest of your life for God to do something because God God will do his part but you also need to do your part. So open your mouth wide and let me fill it, is what the Word of God
0: says. So this is
1: my kind of uh, spiritual, biblical foundation. But let me say a few other things. I want to share of my own life. I often do that at Pentecost. Some people know that, others don't. But it's part of my story with the Holy Spirit.
0: Some people know my testimony,
1: that I come from a very humanist, uh, uh, Freemason family, so I wasn't uh, born with Christianity in my cradle, but I got saved when I was 14 years old. And it was like towards the end of the Jesus People movement in Europe. And I often spoke about them. But I would like to give you two or three elements because that shows what the Holy Spirit is capable of and how he can really burst our bubble here. I got saved in 1972. And I would like to show you a book that I found in the infinite uh, vastness of my library. Tom, it was written by someone who is very Well-known in the evangelical world, I think he's no longer alive, but he's called Anton Schulte. Ever heard his name,
0: maybe? This man
1: visited the uh, Jesus People Movement, and I don't know when the book was published, 72, 73, 74 maybe, but he is writing from an evangelical background, and he is speaking about the revival movement. And then he says, are we at the threshold of the greatest revival of all time? Hundreds of thousands of teenagers in the United States start sharing uh, that they came to faith in, in the first few months of 1971, 1972. And then within nine months, so that was 100,000 people, right? And just in 1971, within nine months, more than 80,000 inhabitants
0: of Indonesia get saved. And then in the USA, there's the
1: first people who get saved in the Jesus People uh, movement. They were the Hell's Angels. They were really um uh motorbike rockers and later they
0: uh, There
1: was uh, one of the initiators of the Jesus People movement. His name was Arthur Blessed. Maybe you've heard of him. Arthur Blessed, he was a real warrior, and he always had a huge cross with him, and then he went to Hollywood, the Sunset Boulevard,
0: and then he walked to the nightclubs, and
1: at that time it was um, strip bars, I'm sorry to say that. He went on stage, put up his cross there, and started proclaiming the gospel. So, you can imagine what happened there. So, what we had yesterday was kindergarten in comparison, okay?
0: And because they wanted to get him off Sunset Boulevard, he put up the cross and he changed himself to the cross and started preaching
1: the gospel at the, at cross. And he went everywhere. And there were at least 10,000 people who got saved through his ministry.
0: So that was a work of the Holy Spirit that was all over the world. This is what God can do. And my friends, we need
1: to broaden our horizon. This was wonderful, but God wants to do even more.
0: And so there was one church,
1: one of the sources of uh, this revival movement, Calvary Chapel in California. Within these nine months, they baptized 7,000 people. And there is pictures on the Internet uh, where there's five pastors who who did, did baptisms in the ocean for three hours nonstop, you know. And a hallmark of this movement was the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. This movement was marked by people saying, we don't just want to live as frustrated Christians, but we want to be used by God. So they were speaking in tongues. It was the gifts of the Spirit. There were entire music bands who got saved.
0: And my friends, that
1: was exactly the movement that I got saved in. So in 72, the Jesus People movement came over to Europe and to Germany. And then there were the first uh, few events that were organized here. There was a music band who got saved right in the midst of their drug uh, craze. And from one moment to the next, they were completely sober. And so this will happen today as well. The Holy Spirit comes and then ecstasy won't have any more power and people will be sober. All of hatred and prejudice and everything that's there, suddenly Jesus gets through with his love, with his power. I believe in a youth movement, a youth scene where they will see salvations. How much more will the Lord be able to break through here with the same power and anointing and authority? He's the same God. So it was such a privilege to be there yesterday and at the same time to see, Lord, save people who are lost, save people who are in depression in all of their brokenness. And Jesus, is it's not too difficult for him, but it's done by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And outwardly, I wasn't quite so... Uh, broken so but my life inside was very broken I was demonically oppressed, I was proud, I was humanistic, I was invited and I got saved, I told the story many times and I thought the Lord actually was quite lucky to get me and the people could be really proud that I became a Christian it's really great for the
0: church, you know, that I joined now they look, took
1: care of me and, and they, you know when you get saved, everyone's so nice to you and looking after you and then you take your first step, but what happens then? And then a friend came to me and said, "Yops that's not enough. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was so cross. I said, that can't be true. You are saying I need the power of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I've got Jesus now.
0: But that's how it was. And then I thought about it. And actually, it was really true. My Christian life was
1: very difficult.
0: so, It was as if a a fire
1: had been kindled somehow, but it didn't really start burning. It was like really on, on just a tiny minute spark. My Christianity was like a rocket that hadn't really taken off yet. I was in a countdown and I thought, now this rocket is going to be propelled into the orbit of faith. And then I started right from scratch again. And again, I thought, oh, now we're getting started. And I had to start from scratch. And at some point, I really was frustrated. For several years, I really tried to do the right thing. I tried to work hard and this is what happens many times when we live with Jesus and the most terrible thing is if we live with the Lord and are frustrated if we remain empty and many times we are so deeply frustrated and then we try to hide this behind the right kind of theology oh we don't want to be emotional you know actually we don't want that at all and we need to be sober I've got good news for you. Jesus was so tremendously emotional. Really, it's
0: true. er er (laughs) Well,
1: there's ancient church hymns that call him the master of joy. so. So Jesus was very emotional.
0: The disciples were rejoicing and happy. And you
1: can even read when they left the Last Supper, they were singing hymns of joy. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, just be a bit emotional.
0: So when the church was started and the
1: Holy Spirit came upon them, you can read it. They were together in the houses and they were together in agaliasis. That's an overboarding sense of joy. So tell the person next to you, overboarding joy. So that is fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a mark of a church that's alive and services that are alive.
0: So nothing is more terrible than a fridge
1: church or a freezer church and you just have just shivers down your spine all the time. That's terrible. It's so awful to go, come to a church and you think you're just doing everything wrong. And then, oh, communion. Don't drop anything. Don't look to your right or to your left. Yeah, that's how we've been brought up, right? And then you come to a service and the people are happy, they're dancing and you think, something's odd here. But that's really how it was.
0: You can read that in an act, one mark of the Holy Spirit
1: is joy. Joy and peace and righteousness.
0: So that's one of the marks. And if you're here for the first time, I would like to tell you this
1: evangelical free church here is part of the charismatic Pentecostal movement, and they have up to 600 million members worldwide. So that's not just a little thing here. I read something in the German national radio program, um, and it says global uh, triumph, well, sometimes we don't believe what it says in the, bi- in, in the media, okay, uh, but uh, maybe your neighbor you believes that. But anyway, in the German radio, it said that on the 8th of February 2019, it says global triumph, established churches lose members, we know that, in Western Europe, but the Pentecostal and charismatic movement is growing globally and faster than any other religious community. Of about two billion Christians, about a quarter is charismatic or Pentecostal, probably more than that, about 600, 700 million people. So we do need the Holy Spirit. And the message about the Holy Spirit and the miracle of Pentecost is not a mark of some strange fellowships and communities, but one of the largest Christian communities and fellowships worldwide. And those who do not proclaim that, they are the ones who are kind of strange, really.
0: So we need
1: it ourselves, but also for us personally.
0: And somehow we need
1: this miracle of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit to experience that personally. And I hadn't experienced that. I was in occult bondage. I didn't have peace. I was driven, uh, running backwards and forwards. I needed something. I remember that I threw myself on my bed one day and then got up and went into the city. I'd been a believer for two or three years already, but I couldn't find peace.
0: This power of the Holy Spirit. I just could not shake it off. And I want to tell you, God
1: wants to work a miracle in your life today. And there's some among us, they could share how maybe 20, 30 years ago they experienced the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. Jesus wants to reveal himself. He wants to enter into your life himself. He's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Not me. No person can do that. But Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I would like to explain to you briefly how that works. We have to go through three different stages. And the Bible speaks about this. Stage number one that we go through is the Holy Spirit doing His work on you or in you. So the Holy Spirit's not a fluidum somehow, He's not a power, but He's a person, He's there. And what he usually does first is he causes a hunger in you for God. Probably you wouldn't be here otherwise. You wouldn't even visit a service. You're hungry or thirsty for God. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. And this desire, there must be more. I want more of him. That is really the original work of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is something I felt as well. And now I see many, many years later, this is the hallmark. If you came like this, you're so hungry for God, you want to have an encounter with him, you don't know how this is possible, but that's in you, that's a mark that the Holy Spirit is already at work in you. And what he does next is he draws you to Jesus, because unless you have met Jesus, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit, right? And so he draws you to Jesus, to the Savior, to the Redeemer, so at some point you come and give your life to
0: him with
1: a simple prayer to say, Jesus, I will follow you. And then you experience the miracle of being born again.
0: That's nothing
1: mystical. But you know, to be born again, that's what the Bible says, is when I lay down my whole life, when I surrender before Jesus. When I say, I no longer surrender to people, I don't surrender to sickness, I don't surrender to my career. I have surrendered to so many people, to sin, uh, compulsion, sex, or whatever it was. I surrendered, I was driven by all of that, it destroyed my life. Now I decide, I will not be locked in by this anymore, I will only surrender to the living God. That's a good swap, isn't it? So I will surrender to him alone
0: and then you can read it up do not be surprised Jesus says
1: when I say to you that you need to be born again and you see if I come to him like that here is my life, everything else maybe you tried everything else and you realize it didn't fill you you felt you're still empty inside and you're still full of fear you still don't have peace in your heart, you're still in that prison and say Jesus I've tried everything but now I bring it to you, I give my life to You. You. If you come to him like that, the Holy Spirit's helping you. If you come like this, you can start new eternal life right now. You have an encounter with Jesus.
0: Just listen. Promise. The second thing is that this promise
1: birth is trust, that you say, Lord I will try it, I'm not a hero of faith, maybe my faith is so little but that's enough for today like a mustard seed, almost nothing, just a little bit it's enough for me to come to Jesus if you've got that kind of faith, that tiny little bit of faith, you can cooperate with God he is happy with that, you cooperate and come to him and he comes a thousand steps towards you, he says, come on, I I will give you that assurance, peace, a new life. The Holy Spirit's working in you. And the second, well, he's doing his work on you or in your life, and then he, the Holy Spirit is in you. So he's preparing our hearts, right?
0: That is oft
1: our hearts are sometimes it's quite crass, you know. I don't know about your card, but I'm not talking about x-ray pictures, but you know, real, the figurative sense. The Bible speaks about this, that our hearts are separated from God. They're proud, they're unteachable.
0: There
1: is nothing that wants anything to do with God. And this kind of heart is what he is preparing. And he does it in such a way that all of us suddenly we realize, oh, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be so despising or proud anymore. I no longer want to be like that. Have you ever experienced anything like it? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Maybe for years you didn't realize, but all of a sudden you're aware, wow, I don't want to live like that anymore. It's terrible. That's what the Bible is talking about. I remember my first service I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit it was a service in a Lutheran church a small chapel candles everywhere and the vicar, he knew something about the Holy Spirit so I sat down on my pew and I thought, wow, what's going to happen now and the Holy Spirit was there very powerfully
0: And then the vicar started
1: explaining something very interesting, and most of us who've been through basic courses of faith know that. But he held up a glass, and I've been telling this story for 30 years now because it's really so good to explain what the Lord's doing with our hearts. He held up a glass. It was like a champagne glass. It was full of dirt, and he knocked at the glass, and it had a horrible sound, and just went bang. So he says, you see, if the Holy Spirit comes and touches your heart and it's full of sin and pride and everything else, then there is no nice sound. You need to cleanse this glass and so he poured out the dirt from that glass and then he said, now you've got time and I think that was the longest service of my life and it took about an hour and a half or or something like that we just sat there and lifted up our sins to the Lord so we emptied our glasses and then he showed what happened once it was cleaned he again knocked at the glass and suddenly there was a beautiful vibrating sound so the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and maybe you're here.
0: And it's even
1: enough for you to realize I don't want to live like I used to. You don't have
0: to. Jesus is helping you. He's reaching out His hands so you can simply
1: cleanse your ha- heart and lift up sin and guilt to Him. Or in our hearts might be You know, we are full of thoughts, what people think about us. I don't know what you feel like, but usually when we are faced with giving our hearts to Jesus, becoming believers, we are worried about what people might think. What happens when the Holy Spirit is coming? And this is what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came into that room. They were speaking in tongues. There was joy. And people were coming together. And some were just shaking their heads. And we are so afraid of that. What will other people say? Will they shake their heads about us? You know, if I allow the Holy Spirit touch, to touch me like this, if I follow Jesus like this, the Holy Spirit's working in
0: us. And the third stage
1: is the Holy Spirit's working through you. He's touching you and using you. And that's why these flames of fire came on each one of the disciples. It's the fire that was cleansing, that was setting ablaze. With fire, there's no middle ground. If you hold your hand into the flame, you will be burned. Fire does no compromise. And so there isn't any shades of gray. There's either a yes, yes, or a no, no. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon, you and touches you, that's because he's got a plan with your life. Because he has not chosen you to live for yourself in your own little spiritual biotope, but he has chosen you to be a testimony for other people. So he is sending you. He's using you to minister to others.
0: The Holy Spirit did not come
1: on the disciples
0: so they'd
1: be able to go to rehab afterwards and to rest and and get restored for uh, for two years from the trauma of crucifixion. But rather he sent them to the east, the north, the south and the west. So he comes upon people who have have given their lives to him unreservedly, saying, Lord, here I am, fill me. So that's the miracle of the baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit, and that's what he has for you today. And actually, maybe for a repeated time, because we cannot live on our experiences of 20 years ago. You know, some days ago I read that uh, Joel 3 about uh, spring rains and autumn rains and uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, now is the time of the spring rains, you know, coming on the churches. I'll come on those who have already experienced the autumn rains and, and who were part of the early charismatic movement and now I want to come again with my spring rains. And so you can accept that miracle of Pentecost for you personally. You know, it's, people always speak about four different kinds of miracles that are connected to Pentecost. The first miracle is what we already talked about, the miracle of salvation. And if you're here, and if you're sitting in your seat, and you've been brought up as a Christian, you've been to many different churches, or maybe not at all, maybe it's the first time for you. Maybe you were raised in a human family like I was. But you still need the miracle of salvation to give your life to Jesus and for him to come into your life and for you to know That you have become his child. That's the miracle of salvation. And the miracle of being born again. There are so many believers and Christians. They live because at some point they gave their life to Jesus. And they try to behave like Christians. And they wander from church to church. And they get in trouble all over the place. Because every church is different. Every church has problems. And every church has always people that I have problems with.
0: But But actually,
1: the the real problem
0: is that I've not been born again. That I have not surrendered
1: with my life and not not laid down my own rights before the living God. So that's the miracle of resurrection. And the third miracle is the miracle of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. That's nothing reserved for charismatic churches. But Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he's the same in the same way, as he is the Lamb of God, he is the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and who comes and meets with you in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit and wants to immerse you in his power. And the fourth miracle for Pentecost is the miracle of the church. Many people forget that Pentecost was the
0: Uh, The hour
1: of birth for the church. And with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, if you continue reading, you see Peter preaching.
0: And just to pick one verse here, he takes
1: the promise in Joel 3, verse 1. In the last day, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. He says, and then you have a few verses, and how the people respond. People were pierced in their hearts. And then he says, brothers, dear friends, what do I have to do? And then Peter says, repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: And then you can
1: see them how they are planted in the church. So baptism
0: and fulfillment of the Holy Spirit is always
1: connected to the miracle of being planted in a living church. And so we cannot separate that. So each one of those miracles, they all belong together. You cannot leave out any single one of them.
0: You can't say,
1: oh yeah, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you've never given your life to Jesus.
0: That doesn't really work. I don't know
1: what kind of Spirit is supposed to come into your life.
0: If you're here and you say, hey, I don't want to be born again to
1: new life, then maybe you'll be able to live a religious
0: life. But
1: the Holy Spirit won't be able to leave, lead you because the Holy Spirit can only Amen. lead his children. Amen? And if you're here and say, I want the I fullness, be be fullness be of the Holy Spirit but I don't want to be, be sent. I don't want to be, be planted, planted so like and added to a church like we read it in
0: Acts. Then maybe it's uh, very easy for you
1: to become a, a spiritual wraith kind of uh, thing. Uh, uh, A spirit just somewhere out on its own. But the Lord has rather called you to be light. So all of these four things, they belong together. And we'll pray together in a moment. But let me ask you one thing. How can I receive all of that? How can I receive the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is the one who baptizes. And I've got good news for you. There is many who say, oh well, I need to wait for it. You read that in Acts, and so many Christians, they've gone into hiding in this Word, and they were just waiting and waiting. But somehow it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere that after Pentecost, there was still anyone who had to remain waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh.
0: And that's why we don't have to wait any longer. And his
1: mark is his joy.
0: And you don't have to think that if you ask the Holy Spirit to come, that maybe he uh, would be
1: coming in, uh, creeping up in the shape of a demon. But the word of God says that if we ask the Lord for bread, He will not give us stones instead of bread if we meet the requirements that we just spoke about you will receive the Holy Spirit from one moment to the next so if you are thirsty and come to him
0: and you see
1: the Holy Spirit working in you and you give your life to Jesus you are hungry and thirsty for him you are asking him for the Holy Spirit he will come immediately he will fill your mouth and you will start not just receiving him but praying in new tongues you will start worshipping him and honouring him I still remember in the beginning of our ministry, we were invited for counseling seminars. And the most interesting part was always praying for the fulfilling with the Holy Spirit. And then they invited us to the former GDR.
0: It was called Retreat there.
1: Christiane, you might remember that. And there were all the people lined up there. And I always closed my eyes because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I asked him, Holy Spirit, come. But then I started seeing and I was able to watch how the Holy Spirit took over himself. People were filled with the Holy Spirit. These teenagers, the grown-ups, they were... We're starting worshipping him, praising Jesus. There's a false teaching somewhere that speaking in tongues is the least of all gifts. But that's complete rubbish. Everything that's from heaven is infinitely precious and valuable. Do you think the Lord would give us something and say, Oh, well, prophecy, that's really high up on the list. The kings, the kings of prophecy. And then there's a lesser gift of or just uh, praying in tongues. Do you believe the Lord will do it like that? It's so precious. I still remember when I was in that service and the people started praying in tongues and then, explaining and interpreting the tongues. And I thought, oh wow, there's so many uh, foreigners here because I didn't understand the language. Afterwards, I asked my friend, what was that? And he said, don't you know? They started speaking in tongues and they worshipped the Lord. And I was really shocked. And I said, wow, I want that too. If that's something that heaven has prepared for me, I want it. And the same thing is true for you. We only need to understand those three steps of a miracle, and then we'll pray together.
0: So now that
1: brings us back to our starting point. Every miracle has three components. First component, who still remembers, was the
0: promise. And who
1: of you knows how many promises there are about the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit? Many, many. Tell the person next yeah. to you, many, many. And so here we can see that. We take a look at that story and there's Peter.
0: Er sits the and, and he's the in the boat and
1: the, boat and the storm is raging all around him and this is how we often feel we can apply that picture to us as well what storms we are facing right around us problems, crisis there is nobody whose life is without any storms so there's oftentimes there are things coming up and you can apply that to your own life so they're all in that boat the waves come crashing down they are really faced with the sum of all fears and then Jesus is coming but he's not sure whether it's Jesus and doubts, but Jesus has no problem. And even if you're here and you're doubting, you're not sure, Jesus, is that really you here? And that's not a problem. The same happened to Peter. Jesus comes to him and then Peter wants to try it. And wouldn't that be a good idea? Let's just try it today. We're trying all sorts of things, right? There's people who try drugs, they try all kind of terrible Netflix series, they try uh, Batman stuff, and whatever I don't know What they all watch Well that was more talking To that side of the room More family uh, <coughs> stories
0: But we will test all sorts of things
1: Or try the first cigarette and Deep drag and you start vomiting Or then you do a joint Or whatever You test everything
0: How about
1: coming to Jesus today? And for Jesus, that test was all right. And so Peter
0: goes ahead and he hears what God's saying. Jesus comes to him and Jesus says, come.
1: So that's the promise. Come, get out of your boat so that's the promise come and then there's the second thing
0: Then you see Peter getting
1: out of the boat and that's his act of faith and trust and maybe the only step it takes that you are here in your seat in the service or you're at home watching through TOS TV and you take this step and you get out of the boat of your own securities you step over that side of the boat and this act was Peter's act of trust.
0: And maybe it's just that one step to come and
1: say, Jesus, I'm hungry and thirsty. I'm doubtful. I don't know whether it's you, but I'll try it. I'll give you my life.
0: And so was that by Petrus.
1: And this is how it was for Peter, promise and trust, and then the third stage, the third component of the miracle, he cooperates, he listens to what Jesus is saying, and then you can read it here, he walked towards Jesus on the water, and there's many clever people who said, ah, well, he did go down. Well, so what? You forgot the second part. Because immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. So it was worth going down, right?
0: It was really worth it. Jesus took
1: him and said, oops, there we go.
0: Didn't quite work out,
1: Peter. Come on, let's get back into the board.
0: So it's a
1: small wonder that in, those in the boat fell down and worshipped him and said you are really the son of God you know if you get to that place no matter what is going on in your heart if you say you truly are the son of God that's where the miracle of salvation has happened the miracle of being born again the miracle of being filled with the Holy Spirit
0: and
1: that miracle is here God wants to work this miracle he wants you to be able to receive him get out of your boat he wants to touch you, save you
0: and maybe
1: one last point and then we'll pray because it's always the question how do I receive that and I still remember we had a meeting right right at the beginning of our ministry here we had invited someone who had written a very Uh, famous book, Inner Healing, Betty Tapscott, and we had an event in a cinema here, and we had a really interesting uh, audience, many uh, New Age people there, and there was God's power and healing, and we prayed and laid hands on them, and then one New Age lady came to me, looked into my hands, and said, where do you have it, where do you have it? And I had to say, well, there is nothing there. And yet the word of God says something very remarkable.
0: Uh, With
1: Peter and John, they came down and were praying for them to receive the Holy Spirit, speaking of the people in Samaria, because so far the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them, but they were just baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus.
0: So they were saved, but they were not filled
1: with the Holy Spirit yet, so much for our sometimes a bit strange theology. They had just been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the following thing happened. They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So what was that? It wasn't because Peter had anything in his hand or on John. But because they did that in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Spirit. And where we do something in the name of Jesus, in the way Jesus says, the Holy Spirit responds immediately and comes with his anointing. He comes with his power. So let's all stand and pray together.